it kind of puts a reality back in things. It knocks all the the the, the shine and and the sort of the slickness out of things and and creates a, a, you know people start making stuff that's real. And welcome to the 95th episode of Pine Copper Line, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and you can find all of that at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page, where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and that helps keep us bringing you printmaking content every week. You can also get thank yous like stickers, pints, and mugs, as well as access to our new bonus content, Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. These are quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests for materials, processes, business advice, and general studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes to sign up and hear Tim's chat with today's guest. And if you want to save a little cash while still supporting this show, you can now sign up for a yearly subscription and receive 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997 but we all know these products do not use themselves, and that is why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Dominic Rapone, who has over 20 years of experience teaching printing techniques all over New York. So if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and improve your practice, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel and see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Des McBann. A teacher, parent, artist, pisshead, husband, biker, nuisance, punk, technician, cynic, brother, smartass, fixer, sailor, son, bully, messer, student, fool, cartoonist, Luddite, fan, friend, foe, and one of the many Limerick printmakers. And we'll talk about it all on today's episode. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to have a pint and make a print with Des McMahon. Hi Des, how's it going? Hi, Miranda, you good? I'm very good. Thank you for joining me this morning. Well, I have to say, a bit of a, a, a surprise being asked, being on that level, but I'm delighted, delighted to be here. Well, I am really excited uh, to get a chance to talk with you. I have been hearing about Limerick printmakers kind of here and there and everywhere out in the printmaking world. Uh, and then I got a lovely email from Fiona Quill uh, suggesting that if I want to know about Limerick printmakers, I need to talk to Des McMahon. <laughs> so uh, I'm just like, I'm glad we could work out connecting and I'm excited to, to chat with you. Yeah, no, well, it's... It's it's funny, Limerick Printmakers is as you know, it's been around a while, it's still, you know, only sort of growing on some levels, but but is starting to to gather a momentum sort of with people 
sort of our 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 people going out and meeting other people and then people coming back. So it so suddenly got a sort of bit of traction and, and connection with people as a as a place which always kind of amuses me on some levels because we are, you know, a, a small city in Ireland, which means we're a town anywhere else mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on and on the Midwest sort of coast of of, of a very small island. So it, it always sort of amuses me how People start to know, but I, I think Ireland in general is kind of known sort of worldwide. So, so it gathers a bit of traction as to where it is and, and what it is, you know. But, For but sure. it's, it's, great. Sure. it's great that the place is getting known. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we dive into kind of some of the history and some of the details, would you introduce yourself a little bit and just let people know who you are? And where you are, which we've probably given away at this point, is Limerick, Ireland. And then what you do. Yeah, okay. I'm Des McMahon. I'm a printmaker. Uh, I teach in the Limerick School of Art and Design printmaking as well, um, predominantly in the sort of first year of the course at the moment. I've we obviously in Limerick in, in Ireland, which is a population of about 80,000 on the, on the west coast of Ireland. And we, I was involved in the setting up of the printmakers. Now, with it was three graduates of um, the course that I taught on who set it up originally, um, and I assisted them, I suppose, more than anything else, and that was maybe 21 years ago, and have been involved in the various sort of forms and movements and ev- evolution of the printmakers over the last 21 years. So that's that's kind of how it how it came to be on some levels. Um, so yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm, I'm I've been involved in sort of print in Limerick since since I came here originally, which would be 1984. Okay, and then how did you come to be a printmaker and come to know printmaking yourself? Well, I, I had in school like like most people, um, I had done the obligatory lino cut. Yeah. Um, and stabbed, you know, and stabbed myself in the hand with one of those lovely little red-handled tools. Yep, right of passage, um, right of passage. Yeah. yeah, and and decided that really, why would anyone do this as as a choice? And then I, I was lucky enough. I had a, a teacher called Mike Lyons in sixth year, who was just real interesting young guy and a printmaker as well. So I'd still done a little bit with him. And it was only when I came down to Limerick then, uh, at that stage, I hadn't considered printmaking as something that would be uh, a major part of what I do. And I was very lucky that the people, there were there was a few people teaching print, but one, one man called Dietrich Bledow, who was a German printmaker, who was teaching print in Limerick here. Now, and I was a mess, which didn't help very much. So, so really, um, at that point, probably drinking too much and not really interested in, in very much at all. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden I was shown by this man. He, he Dietrich just, you know, introduced me to George Gross and Otto Dix and all these people and showed me German expressionist woodcuts and absolutely blew me away. And I suddenly, you know, start, I started doing a lot of lino cutting and suddenly found something that... Uh, I suppose worked with a punk aesthetic and had a physicality, and I was introduced to artists who weren't maybe, who just had an edge to them that I hadn't really sort of been introduced to before, and I was sold hook, line, and sinker, and so I did printmaking and predominantly block printing. Um, 
the whole way through from there and have been kind of stuck with that ever since. So it was, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, you meet, you meet some people and some things that they can offer that absolutely change the trajectory of your life. And I suppose, you know, that's, that would have happened through, through Dietrich and through the introduction to print. And, you know, you suddenly find yourself, however many years later, still cutting a piece of lino. How, you know, how have I been quite this fortunate that, you know, 30, 30 something years later, I'm still sitting here with the same tools, cutting the same thing. And you're going, it's an achievement on some levels. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think about that a lot myself, just in terms of knowing all the people in the world who are interested in working in art or being involved in art, even in a tangential way. And here I am getting to do that every day. And you can get lost in it. You can get lost in the weeds and just think like, you know, like, oh, it's, this is stressful and this person's attitude is terrible and this person's ego is rubbing me the wrong way. And then every once in a while, you just have to slap yourself and be like, come on. <laughs> like, you do realize you're living other people's dreams right now, right? Well, I think especially, especially recently, and, and Kamara, like, like everyone, I get lost in, and, and because I work in an institute, you get lost in things that you think are important. And then you have a sudden, you know, you suddenly realize that actually isn't of any great importance yeah. at all. And but, but with the pandemic and, you know, we were working online and I was suddenly I was having to make videos to... So I'm a great admirer of anyone who, who is doing anything on YouTube mm. or on anything that requires editing and filming because, man, oh, yeah. a lot of work goes into making a couple of minutes look good. Um, but yeah. I was sitting here cutting these bits of line going, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what a treat being honest that this is my living, yeah. you know, that I'm here as a printer, you know, or as a teacher. Um, being able to work in, in this manner and and you know you have moments of clarity that you suddenly realize that actually you 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 should stop complaining about things absolutely absolutely i i have those moments often and every time i'm just like oh my gosh miranda like because <laughs> you and you just you get yourself worked up and i get you know in the spirals of self-importance about like everything i'm doing and it's like no no, you are just living the dream, actually. Like, <laughs> like shut the hell up, Miranda. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, before... Yeah. No, go on. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, before we kind of get into a bit more about, like, limerick and, and printmaking and limerick... Um, I'm hoping you could maybe sort of set the scene a bit more for the city because I know in Fiona Quill's recent piece, which was in the 14th issue of Pressing Matters, she started out describing the city as working class and fraught with difficulties, um, but also with a really strong arts presence. And I just feel like that really seems like a very particular sense of place that maybe also kind of informs the culture of Limerick printmakers and the art that comes out um, of the town. And so, yeah, can you sort of maybe speak to that a bit more? Yeah, I, well, they are, the, it's, they are intrinsically linked. It, it, it's, it's funny, like Limerick, I came here in the 80s and uh, Limerick is a working class town. So you would have had, um, you know, obviously... I think you, you'll know from, from uh, you know, from the States and from anywhere else, different cities take on sort of different personas or mm -hmm. they, they 
promote different sort of personas, whether or not they're real. Um, so, you know, Dublin is obviously the capital, so it has its own sort of importance. Um, and then Cork sees itself as, the, you know, it sees itself as a capital and then Galway sees itself as a tourist sort of area and it has music and theatre connected to it. And, and Limerick is very much a, a, a working city. Um, and in the 80s, it was fairly run down. It had been hit very badly by the recessions and stuff, but it's it's small. And then you had a sort of build-up sort of coming out of the 80s of uh, violence around the town. You had some yeah. feuds between um, uh, various families. And because of the nature of the town, the, the feuding areas sort of circled the town. And because of the size of it then, you know, you you ended up with quite a lot of violence around the, around the town, and it generated this this uh, reputation, and it was you know called Stab City oh. um, for a long time. <laughs> you know, which wow. uh, on some levels, actually, I had a, a friend who was traveling through Thailand, and she she met someone, and she said she was going home, and he had then sent her a, a, an an email later on saying, "You must be careful. I have looked up your city. Be careful in the city of the knives." Um, and I was going, that's fantastic. The city of the night sounds so much more romantic. It than sounds city. very romantic. Um, yeah, you were going, it's an Arabian kind of feel to it. Yeah. But it, it just had a, it had a reputation then that sort of preceded it everywhere. But it's, a, you know, I've been, I've been here a long time and really, uh, and I've had never had any trouble with it, you know. So, and what happens is, you know, like most feuds, they're between sort of individuals or groups and it doesn't necessarily... Uh, impact everywhere else, but it did impact the view of the city, I think, you know. Um, so that sort of came, but, but it, you know, and it, it's a hard enough town on, on lots of levels, but actually it's an incredibly welcoming place, um, unlike a lot of other sort of towns and places I've been that have cliques and um, it's quite hard to get into and you're always an outsider in there. Limerick actually, you know, once, once you came here and committed in any way to it, and wanted to be here, it it was fantastically open. And mm. the art college was always right in the middle of town. And, you know, it was always the sort of most colourful clientele, basically, in town, but never any hassle. And that's what I, you know, and even now, you know, you see some of the more flamboyant characters from the art college, you know, there's never any grief with it, you know. So, so you have all kind of aspects. People just go, we just get on with our own thing. I found it an amazing place to live on lots of levels. One of the things then that happens with it is, is because the art college in the middle of town is an accepted part of it, and because um, the Irish uh, economy um, does exactly what most economy does, it goes from boom to bust on a completely repetitious cycle um, without managing to learn anything along the way, which seems to be an achievement in itself. Um, so every time it collapses, which is basically every six six or seven years, uh, you end up with a whole pile of empty sort of buildings back in town again. And these end up occupied by um, artists, by graduates. So, and I mean, at one point in, in the printmaker's history, when we were in our second sort of phase, there were seven or eight gallery studios, all within a hundred yards of the city centre all being run by graduates and students, all having openings of sort of young artists' work, um, music, all these things out in the street, 
you know, on, on sort of every two or three weeks and you were suddenly going incredibly vibrant plays and all because, because I, I think recession is always good for the arts anyway in what it produces, but also in the fact that it, uh, it kind of puts a reality back in things. It knocks all the, 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 the shine and, and the mm. sort of the slickness out of things and, and creates, a, a, you know, people start making stuff that's real. And, and so that, you know, the city has that element to it, which has always sort of been attractive on lots of levels. And then it's, it's off the sort of tourist grid on some levels, even though Shannon Airport is only, you know, 15 miles out the road. People land in Shannon and they go to Kerry or they land in Shannon, they go to the Cliffs of Moher and Clare and up to Galway. So Limerick is kind of bypassed as a, as a sort of city on some levels. And because of that, again, it sort of, it holds on to itself, it holds on to its identity on, on lots of levels. And, it, and it, it just makes it, it makes it very real. And it's the kind of town that if it likes you, you know, it lets you know, and if it doesn't like it, it lets you know pretty quickly. You know, so so you know, you're, there's an honesty about it that that works. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's um, that that's been reflected a little bit, I think, in some of the ways that that Limerick Printmakers has been described. You know, in this kind of, um, I watched some of the videos that you put together of uh, of you know working and kind of this idea that you know it doesn't need to be. Um, perfect. It just needs to be made, you know, and that kind of just getting it done uh, attitude that I think you do see in cities where you're not being held to the standard of things being shiny, perfect, sparkly Instagram filter, but more like, what do we have and what can we do with it? And, and let's just make it happen. And yeah, I think you see that a bit in, in Thailand as well. Um, you know, that, that there are people who are saying, like, well, I don't have much, but it's not going to stop me from making anything. Um, I, I, well, I think that's when you get interested in stuff happening out of it. You know that, well, I think we, we had a few things that helped over here is that our, Ireland doesn't have a great, you know, it doesn't have a long history of printmaking. Mm. You know, so it's not sort of tied to traditions of what you can and can't do which you know which sort of come with some country now and don't get me wrong you, they come with countries which have you know just phenomenal printmakers mm. coming out of them but but certainly in the 80s when I started printing printmaking was very much seen as a sort of the poor cousin within sort of fine art or as a sort of service thing within it um, so so when you started printing just doing everything through print was kind of odd, even at that point, you know. So someone seen you'd been a printmaker as opposed to an artist who occasionally made prints right. was was sort of seen as a sort of slightly different thing. But it also meant because you you didn't have, you know, this is where something should go on the page and this is uh, how something should be done and, you know, etchings should be this size. You know, I mean, we, you know, we thought nothing about putting plaster scene all around car bonnets mm. and just pour nitric acid onto them <laughs> and and you know and obviously health and safety didn't exist so right. life was much yeah. easier so this was in a small studio where we all ended up running out into the you know <laughs> dying, dying of fumes out in the alley you know going jesus how we never thought how you're going to actually empty the nitric acid off the boot when it was or off the bonnet when it was finished anyway you could you you could do things then and not be sort of worried about the consequence and I think an awful lot of that has carried on it it carries on in the way we teach um or some of us in that that in order for 
in order in order for people to understand printmaking, they have to get interested in it first, yeah. and they have to see that anything is possible, you know, and anything is is acceptable on some levels. I think if you throw a whole pile of rules at people before they start to do anything, mm. then then they never get to the point of wanting to do anything, you know, because you're you know if if you if you say don't and no you know, 40 times before you actually allow someone to do something, you've lost them. So, and I think that ethos has always been within the sort of printmakers and within the graduates from the from the print course and from the people who've stayed and joined the printmakers is, you know, you, you can do what you want and, you know, you can see what everyone else is doing and rob bits of it and, and put it together and, and, and see what happens. And it doesn't have to abide by a sort of historical sort of rule set um, or any other rule set, really, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. And then, so the actual organization of Limerick Printmakers, another, uh, I guess another little bit of news from Limerick that put it on my radar was uh, this organization has purchased its first permanent home, which is a a three-story Edwardian townhouse, which just sounds really exciting and really fun. And, you know, you were there at the beginning 20 odd years ago. Can you sort of maybe talk a little bit sort of about that journey, about yeah. the beginning of it, and then this exciting purchase that you've just done? Well, we we, we started three students who were in fourth year, um, Melissa O'Brien, uh, Claire Boland, and Carrie Fry. And they, but we, had, we had a very active print department or, or print course again uh, with Dietrich and Colleen Murray and Terry Gravitt so there were some very exciting people working there but in Ireland at that point um, there was no there was two print studios in Dublin and one in Cork mm. and that was it so if you graduated from Limerick um, you and you wanted access the only presses that people had access to were, were private um, owned by one or two people and really not accessible. So these three uh, students came and they said, look, we're interested. We want to try and set up a printmaker. And Dietrich had tried to set one up before. And I think what most people who've been involved in the setting up of a, of a print studio will will know that that like most things, you do it for 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 one reason and it turns into something else. So you do it because you want somewhere to print. And then once you set it up, you suddenly realize that actually these things are, are, are monsters. Do you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they consume you and, and, and all of a sudden there's no setting something up for you to print. You're just involved in admin and trying to, trying to keep it alive and trying to make it work. So the, the previous one had failed uh, and left a lot of debt and Dietrich had got kind of badly burnt by it. So he was, you know, he was going, look, I, you know, I support you, but, but that's as far as I'll go with it. Like I'm not sticking cash or anything into it before. Anyway, the, the, the three girls set up the printmakers and they were, they were just incredibly fortunate, um, as well as putting in a huge amount of work, that they met a man called Joe Buckley, who was a very small, unassuming man, cycled around town on a bicycle, little anorak on him, you wouldn't, you know, and... But he was absolutely fascinated by art. He was an art collector. Um, he had this building in town 
and it was kind of a run-down um, granary building. And you'd be chatting to him, and he was um, absolutely pure Limerick. And then the next minute, he'd pull out of a drawer, he'd pull out these Modigliani paintings, and he'd pull out Picasso prints and George Brewer, and you'd be going, seriously? I mean, he brought down this Modigliani painting with pigeon shit on it from upstairs. <laughs> oh and I should really put it, I was going, oh, man, you're just, you're unbelievable. And he just, he had like a treasure trove of this work. And, and But he had all kinds of work. Do you know, he had stuff done by, you know, sort of Sunday painters. He had he collected stuff by anyone he thought was interesting. Mm. And then he had all this other stuff. But he had this building and he had a vision that, you know, there, there could be a printmakers and a cafe and a framers and, you know, a, a sort of society that helped itself or a, a communal sort of group that helped itself within that. But he didn't have the money to put into the building on lots of levels. But so he let the he 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 gave them rent free. So we went in there and we just took one little section of it, got one etching press. Um, all the shelves were made out of baking trays that we were. Everything was made out of, from skips basically, oh. and we had this one etching press, and we started from there. He never charged us rent up until at the very end, Melissa ended up insisting he took something because he was broke by, by the end of it. But by, by the time we evolved over there, so the first three or four years, I mean, there was, there was no there was no grant aiding because obviously you're not going to get grant aiding for something that's just starting up and hasn't proved itself. So the girls were really working. I, I was lucky because I, I had a teaching job, you know, but the girls were trying to teach classes and, and things uh, with kids, just trying to keep it going and adult print classes. But we, we ran a couple, we ran an auction and raised some money. And like Joe came down in the middle of it and, and gave me seven Giacometti prints. And he said, look there, you sell those and see if you can get another press. You know, and it was that kind of generosity just fueled things. So we ended up, we, we drove around the country and we got stuff from all the other printmakers who were throwing it out, stuff from commercial printmakers. We ended up with the whole ground floor, Arts Council. We got Arts Council funded after a couple of years. We ended up with a big gallery um, with silk screen upstairs. We ended up with full dark rooms, all in this kind of chaotic building. You know that that you we you know you kept having to change things and learn how to do things and plumb things and you know I mean so, but it it had a very different sort of feel than you had the city gallery which was uptown which you know which like most is a municipal gallery and there was one other sort of commercial gallery that was operating in town and then ours which had a kind of sense of a little bit of a sense of chaos about it but actually you know had a had a good gallery space for that so if you had an opening there. You know, you'd have two or three hundred people at an opening. It would spill, you know, the street outside would be covered. We had a good relationship with all the pubs in the area. So <laughs> they are all involved in it. So it was more of a party than than an art opening. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't one of these places where, where people were meant to be quiet. Mm. Um, it mm-hmm. was much more a celebration of, of what was possible on lots of levels. So that's that's where it evolved in there. And funnily enough, the you know, as with everything, and you'll see with, I suppose, with with this story and with every other story, you know, it's people people that make things function, and and also people that stop things functioning. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. so so that that worked away great. Um, Melissa ended up 
sort of being the, the, the only one of the three, the others moved on. Melissa committed everything, being honest to her, to, to keeping this place going. We, we had got Arts Council funding, and then uh, somewhere along the line, somebody, somebody interjected in it, and we ended up having to leave for safety, health and safety reasons again, that, oh. you know, if there were people in the building and people were going up the stairs and maybe the stairs wasn't as, you know, and they needed fire escapes. And, and in order to make this building comply with proper full health and safety regulations for having those kind of things insurance would have taken millions. So, so, so we had to leave from there. Um, and thankfully, um, we were back in recession. So <laughs> good timing, uh, good timing. Good timing. Yeah. yeah. So we ha- we had looked at one building uptown, which was the an, an old wet house, which is uh, the Alcoholics Hostel. Um, they were called wet because they're allowed, you know, they were allowed bring drink into them, whereas most hostels would take mm-hmm. them off. So you were allowed to have a certain amount, and it was controlled. But if so, it was, you know, what would have been the the, the sort of scene as. They were called wet houses at the time. We had looked at that because it had just people had just moved out of it. Um, they'd been sort of moved to a new hostel during the night. This place was boarded up. Lovely building, a lot of work. But trying, we got in and and I got in and had a look. And then, of course, because we were getting funded by the Arts Council. What happens is that draws out all kinds of people. So somebody heard that we were we were looking at it, and then next minute you suddenly had you know conservation architects and people can smell money. So and even though we we, we didn't have any, there there was they can smell the possibility of getting it. You know. So anyway, <laughs> that interfered with the whole thing, and suddenly we 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 couldn't get access to there. We we got a, into what had been a shoe shop right in the middle of town. I mean, literally fifty yards from the absolute centre of town. So we moved the printmakers, sort of all of us. One guy who knew a guy with a van, uh, Derek was working down there at the time, knew a guy with a, with a forklift. So we just got high-vis uh, vests because you can do anything with a high-vis vest. You can, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can do whatever you want, yeah. So we just loaded things up, uh, presses onto forklifts and drove them straight up the main street, you know, with our vests on, just moving people out of the way and shifted into this place and then reset up there and and then it evolved in there and had it again the whole front of it was it was a big gallery and the printmaking section was at the back the trouble sort of evolved from there on lots of levels because you know you were getting funded on one thing but running a gallery and running a print workshop are very different things mm-hmm. and it it started to in order to keep the gallery open, you have to employ this this amount of people, and you have to have the lights on, and it has to be open this amount, and it has to be heated. You know, and suddenly you're going. All our money is going into keeping this gallery open, that isn't selling enough work because one, you know, the catchment area, the town, it, there just isn't a, enough of a, a sort of turnover here, and we're not gallery people, you know. So you're going. The people running it are. are workshop people yeah. and Melissa was still running it at this stage and uh, you know I'd say if Melissa made two or three prints in the printmakers in the entire time from that she was there it would have been an achievement these things just eat you up and so I think if you set up a printmakers with the idea that you're setting something up that you're going to make prints in 
then you know you're 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 mistaken unfortunately on some levels or or you're very lucky if you manage to do that but it's very difficult to do the two and once we had got funding of any sort the the rigmarole that goes into providing all the right details and questions and answers to to get the funding is all consuming as well so yeah. you know you get bogged down in the and I look I, I find that with anything you know as soon as soon as someone gives you money um, if they're giving you money then they want something for it you know mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily tie in with with what your vision is so it does instantly you know money money changes everything all the time so we were in that place um, we occupied that for not a not a huge amount of time, but a couple of years, and then we suddenly realised we were we were gone. Basically, we were broke, um, and we just couldn't we couldn't get out of debt. We couldn't keep things running, so we sat down myself, Fiona, and Mary uh, O'D, who was working there, sat down. Melissa had left at this stage, and got another. She'd got a got a job. Thankfully, I think for her head. Yeah. Um, had got a job in 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 Dublin, and she look. We we had managed to keep it afloat. You know, we had, we had a, this friend of ours, Vivian, who regularly used to give us ten thousand quid in cash to bail us out until the next till we got back on our feet, and then we give it back to her, and then she give it again. I mean, not stuff. And I suppose lots of people didn't realise that you know we were on the edge of this all the time. So we sat down one night and we were going, look, we just have to shut the place. Uh, it 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 can't function on this way at all. And then we just made it say, actually, do you know what? We can if we dump the gallery, just get rid of the gallery because it's not. You know, I think we had to go back and go, what are we exactly? Do you know? And we set up to be a print workshop, so it was for print and to give people a place to print and and to build that community as opposed to build. Um, a gallery space and and which which is a, a whole different sort of environment and a whole different kind of clientele and and really we we were we had set out to be for printers and that's where we went to um, so we shot everything and Fiona and Mary both worked um, for free for a year running all the admin doing all that side of it and we we let everyone go mm. um, so there was no employees no anything just to try and get it back on track. And in the meantime, we we were on a, a, a three-month contract with the, the shoe shop because obviously we're 50 yards from the middle of town in a big space and they're well aware of how much it's worth when the economy sure. turns. Yeah. But they're not going to commit to a bunch of lunatics who are cutting lino in the back of the room. <laughs> you know? So, so we, we went back up and found uh, – we went back up and looked at the wet house and got back in. Guy in the council gave us the keys – so we had a look around and it was all boarded up and the kids had got back in and they'd smashed all the glass inside and the, the, some of the winos had got back in because that's where they had lived for a long time. So the place wasn't pleasant on any level, but a phenomenal building, you know, and it's it's in this uh, this square in the middle, you know, it, it's just an incredible little spot in Limerick. Um three stories over a vaulted basement. So we kind of got in and we dealt with the council a little bit and couldn't, you know, unsure as to who owned it. Hmm, um, really? Exactly. <laughs> well, the council didn't own it, but seemed to think that they had some say in it. And we, you know, then it, it belonged to um, a sort of charity 
but they didn't seem to. So look, in the end, I, I ended up with the keys. So <laughs> that's kind of how it sort of functioned yeah, around. The yeah. And and I think everyone was happy as long as you know nobody said anything or asked them for anything. That seemed to be the sort of premise it worked on. So. So we, we kind of came to an agreement that we could sort of work away on the ground floor of it, as long as we didn't ask for anything, basically. Huh. So we went in, we cleared out. And, and again, this is the funny thing with it. You know, the first time we, we built the printmakers, I would have been very involved in the sort of first build of it. And as it moved upstairs, there were other other people involved, Derek, Martin, a few other people who who, who were just really handy and able to build and it is the one thing with printmakers uh, you know they they tend to be able to do things and not be worried about the sort of physical side of things um and and be able to make so so people make benches you know put them on wheels move them around and they understand workshops so so the second phase was other people had built and, and when it moved down to um the shoe shop again you'd pam and you'd, you'd a whole range of people who threw in an awful lot of time into building it. So when we went up to, to this place, the, the wet house in John Square, myself and this guy, Alan Crowley, who was uh, a graduate from the print room, uh, from the print department, we started tearing it apart. Now, I mean, it, it, you know, we took out almost 30 tonnes of stuff out of it. Um, we had to cut out walls, pull down everything inside, and it was all kind of done in the dark on lots of levels. Um, because all the windows were shuttered over with metal. So you'd people stripping wallpaper inside, using head torches, and people borrowing their, you know, their, their husband's trailers. And just, you know, it took a year, basically. And during that year, the printmakers had, was, had no home, so it set up pop-up press. We were probably more visible in that year when we had no home yeah, than we were any other time because everything happened on the street. So people had silk screen presses that, that hooked onto bicycles and they went downtown and printed out in the street and a bit like drive-by press and, you know, inspired by an awful lot of the other stuff that we were seeing people doing and the possibilities of what people were doing. And during that time, then we, we sort of stripped out uh, the ground floor of this place, moved the, the print shop up into it and then, and for the first time, actually designed a space that operated for us in a, in a circular manner that you could go from etching to screen to, to litho. You know, it, it actually had a sort of flow to it. But we had a big yard out the back and now fraught with problems and it's still rough and ready, but, um, but you know, evolving all the time. And then, you know, we had boarded off upstairs so you couldn't get up into the top two floors of it, which were still sort of old dormitories. And then we we started looking to we started looking to, to get a lease. Being honest, is where we were with it. Um, and then suddenly found out that nobody seemed to have any idea who owned it. Um, <laughs> so the council who told us we could use the bottom floor only didn't actually seem to have, and they'd even given us a letter and things, but they didn't they didn't actually own it. Um, so when we went to them for a lease, they were going, well, we can't give you a lease because really it's not ours. And I was going, but you gave me the keys. like." <laughs> so so you're kind of going, there was a lot of confusion around this for, for a while. And then we, we sort of found who owned it, but they didn't want to rent it to us because if they rented it to us, then they were going to have to put money into it. And obviously right. they become landlords and it becomes... So 
you know, it went back and forward a little bit and we were going, but actually we need to have, you know, this is fine because on, on, we are squatting it technically. And and we, we had just sort of said that as, you know, right from the start when we went in, we were going, this is kind of what rent would be if we were paying rent. So, so since we're not paying rent to anyone at, at present, uh, and we can't really find anyone to pay rent to, yeah. we will we'll put that into the building. So we were putting in that amount and, you know, just in materials, not in labour, because all labour is free, into into the building between, you know, trying to insulate things and putting in heating. We rewired the whole thing. And for the first time ever, um, and you can tell this wasn't my choice, we, we had like fire exit signs and <laughs> actual, you know, Health and safety things that yeah. I would have, I would have bypassed, you know, instantly. But uh, you know, in hindsight, were absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. So you know, um, suddenly you were, you were we were moving into a slightly different place. So we eventually were were saying, look, we we can't get any of the funding that we do get, or we certainly we're going to lose any funding that we do get. It, well, if we don't own the building, or we can't at least tell somebody who does own the building. So they came back and they were saying, look, um, we, we don't want to own the building and we, we certainly aren't going to rent it to you. So you, you can buy the building off us. Okay. So how, how long had you been kind of in the, the squatting situation until you, you got this final offer? Yeah. About seven years. Oh, wow. A long time. Yeah, yeah. So since, uh, yeah, about six, six years. Since about 2014, we, we moved there and... Yeah, and we kind of hummed, and now you know. I mean, it's tipped away and it's done bits and pieces, but you are so you're you're always on the edge, and because of just the nature of Prince Judith, they're so big. When you start, you know, if it's an etching press, that's fine. If it's three etching presses, but then it's three etching presses and aquatint boxes and acid baths and silkscreen units and drying can. Jesus, the list just goes on and on and on, and suddenly you're going, this is. This is a monstrosity of a thing. If we have to, and, and really, I'll be honest, I was just going, I'm not moving this again, you know, after after stripping out <laughs> that. And, and with all the help in the world, I think, yeah. you know, there's people, people, and pe- I mean, in fairness, that is why the printmakers exist, because people's generosity of their time and their mm. skills are phenomenal. And as sort of one person sort of gets tired and, and, and not able to do anymore, we've been in, in, incredibly lucky with people who have become technicians inside in there, but also people who have just given amazing amounts of time and skill into what they've built and what they've delivered. And like, as we speak now, there's a guy called Alton McAvenue who's in there now putting new ceilings into the place. And you're just going, the, the, I'm kind of always blown away by how much people are prepared to do. Once someone's prepared to do something, everyone tends to step up to the plate. And I think that's always been the key to it. So are you now working on the top two floors that you weren't allowed to use before? Yeah, yeah, that's where we've just gone in. We've we've cleared out the second floor. We're putting in new ceilings and rewiring that. Uh, We're going to keep the whole print studio downstairs, but we can arrange it in, in a different manner now. We can have artist studios just above us and we're in the square we're in there are art council-owned artists apartments beside it so so some of those are rented out to artists for a certain period of time and then two are kept by the council for visiting artists so 
we're hoping that we get a connection in there for international residencies, that they'll have the studio right next door. You'll have the apartments beside it. Then you have Dance Limerick is also in the square. They've got a beautiful dance studio at an old converted church. And then in the middle of it, just to make it, you know, to, to make it still Limerick on every level, you have all the winos, even though they've moved to the other end of town, to their hostels, still gravitate back and sit outside our door. <laughs> so you get a real, a real Limerick experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you get the whole thing, you know, so you can, I mean, the, on the first, the first night we had an opening there, and, and the place was, was still a building site, being honest, we had no power. The Boy Scouts were next door, we had 16 leads, uh, electrical leads coming out the windows of the Boy oh Scouts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> health and safety health and safety yeah <laughs> yeah man i mean really when i think about it now it, it was it was nuts and we had about 300 people inside in this, this this what was literally a building site but the third year students um had were running this big show rumpus and oh just a great night great night but oh, we had wonderful. some of the, some of the third years uh, had put on the two of the mature students had put on uh tuxes and dicky bows and they put a red carpet and outside the door of it and uh, you know you all these students in and out and the square was buzzing and then the, the two winos trying to get in going i left my toothbrush in there man i left my toothbrush <laughs> oh in my there God. let me in let me in so you know you, and, and roaring laughing loving the whole idea that that someone would be in there their hostel showing art and just you know you could oh, see them sweet. them looking at us like we you know you're the ones who have lost it here lads not us you yeah. know so it, yeah that's so sweet yeah, so so that's where we are at the moment. Where we 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 have just purchased it, and have a home that is you know three stories, a basement underneath that we are going to do up, and hopefully um, we're not we're not sure exactly how it's going to function yet, whether it becomes an apartment or whether mm. you know how how it operates. We have a big yard out the back, so we we've got a place that. One, we can we can sort of develop and live in, but two, hopefully, sort of create something uh, not just more permanent, but more dynamic that other people can come and be part of. So yeah. it, we can we can we can broaden who we are and and what we work, or at least welcome people over into what we do. Now we've had quite a lot of people come and and work with us um, over the over the years and involved in the sort of twenty four hour projects that we run. You know, so. Uh, hopefully it expands now, you know, and it, it has a sort of sense of belonging that that is isn't sort of there's always been a geez, this could all get pulled out from underneath you at, mm. at any point. And again, if some of that comes back to money. If you're entirely dependent on somebody giving you money, then you're only a step away from being gone all the time. Mm. And I think, you know, arts councils. Uh, and we've been incredibly well supported by the Arts Council. Now, we've been incredibly straight up with them since we decided that we were right on the brink of closing. We, we, we have, you know, been very honest about who we are and what we what we try and achieve. And also trying to go, look, how do we become, you know, dependent on ourselves so that if, if something, you know, and, and money always disappears, you know, if that goes... What happens to everything, you know, you know, so now if it goes, it, it doesn't, you know, it can, yeah. you know, it, it can stay and it can still function. And I think it's it's got enough strength and weight behind it to 
operate. You know, it is a limited company. It does have its own building. It's not mm-hmm. totally, you know, it, it, you know, people might lose jobs, but we won't lose everything. Right. Yeah, that's a wonderful kind of stability to, to have that space. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what? Then it allows you to do things that you want to do. And I think that's the sort of crucial thing that, that there's no point in having this place um, and there's no point in putting all this work into it if it, if it doesn't allow us to do what, what we want to do as, as sort of a group and as people. If, if you're continually having to function to someone else's criteria, then I don't think things last because you're not you can't give you you can't give everything that's necessary to give if this mm-hmm. if this is all someone else's behest you know absolutely yeah like it's that always sort of thinking that you need to have one one hand sort of emotionally and mentally you know on the on the door to the exit right because you're like oh yeah. like this could collapse this could collapse this could collapse and and then to yeah to be in a place after after 20 years where you can finally say like okay like you've got the home and now you can really build and like all of those projects that maybe people you've thought about or been curious about over 20 years you're actually able to now like dive in that must be a really exciting time yeah it's it's great and, and you know the the funny thing is like we've gone lots of places and uh, as as a group and as individuals, but as as a group we've gone you know so I think you know look we've gone to to various sort of things like impact and symposiums like that we made great friends with uh, Aviles, the Factoria Cultural in, in in Aviles in the north of Spain accidentally on lots of levels Susanna O'Reilly who is um, one of the printers who has actually been 20, you know, she's been there from the start as well. And she runs um, Parallel Editions, this uh, editioning house out of the printmakers. Absolutely amazing printmaker. But she's from Tipperary. Great friend of uh, the the arts officer in Tipperary who, who was saying, look, you know, there's this place in northern Spain. Maybe you should go over. They, they do this uh, festival. So we ended up going over to northern Spain with... You know, I think there was maybe eight of us went over and we said we'd do this 24 hour project over there. And they were very suspicious, not surprisingly, on lots of levels, you know, but they were going, you know, so, you know, this is this is a holiday for us as well. You know, and and so, you you know, you're going over to work and you're going over with friends and you're going over with people who think in the same way. So, I mean, this is, you know, th- th- there's an excitement that goes with that. And we're going to print for 24 hours. So you're, you're, you're just going to make. So, and we're messy, you know, in, yeah. in, in the nicest possible manner, um, we think. You know, but anyway, they, they, you know, we got this call on the way over and they sent an email and said, look, you know, the technician, Fernanda, is going to um, have, you know, things in 24 hours. She's cutting A4 plates and, you know, the paper will be uh, a tray that you can. And we were going, fuck that. That's not going to work. Um, you know. <laughs> so they were they were trying to think because the, the whole idea is that you print for, for 24 hours straight. Right. And you've, you've got to get the print done. And so they were trying to set you up to be like efficient with like these like standardized sizes and these standardized papers. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and this is how it's going to work, you know. And I mean, the idea is that you just land with your tools yeah. and you, you you just trust yourself to make whatever you make. And and I don't think any of us worked in that. Maybe one person who was going over worked at that scale. Um, 
but and and even they would be you know i think would balk at the idea of being confined by somebody else's deciding this would be the most efficient use of time you know it uh, it took about an hour before you were climbing into skips and you know pulling <laughs> bits of planks out and you know and you're drinking wine and and obviously you know it's 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 about conversation anyway at the end of the 24 hours you know there's an exhibition put up um and and it's exhausting but it's brilliant and it, it, you know, I, I think we completely changed. I mean, they're great friends of ours. They've come over and visited us. We've been back over and 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 worked over there a few times. But you know, chaos ensues with all these things because <laughs> you know you're you're, you're going to go and work hard. But if you're going to go and work hard, you're going to go and play hard. Oh yeah. Um. So it it's all it's all sort of part and parcel to it and I think that's whenever we've gone anywhere that sort of ethos goes with it you know you go and learn as much as you can meet as many people as you can of, of interest to you and I think you know sometimes you go to these places and whether it's in print or in any sort of community there are lots of people that maybe you don't want to spend a lot of time with you know and certainly mm. within academia which of which there are you know yeah a lot of a lot of symposiums and a lot of these sort of things that go on have a lot of academic uh, teaching sort of staff at them because colleges fund them. Um, and so they're maybe not the most interesting of people that you want to meet on lots of times. You're going, actually, I'd rather meet some of the people who are in the pub who have been printing all day, who are, you know, the technical staff who have a whole different sort of view on how to make and, and, and what can be done. Than, than these people. So so we, we gravitate towards like-minded sort of people. And, and through that, we've become great friends with, you know, Mick McGrath in Glasgow, you know, all, all over the, the, the place. We've, we've gravitated towards like-minded people. And then I suppose more recently, again, Fiona is brilliant at, uh, at, at sort of contacting uh, people. And, and I suppose because the world has changed so much in how you're able to contact people in the fact that we're able to sit here and talk on Skype. Mm. Uh, the pandemic has completely altered everything with people's access to Zoom. My mother now attends gardening lectures in you know North America from her house in Galway <laughs> without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and she's in her you know 80s. So you, you, you suddenly have a different level of communication. So you know, we had Catherine Pope talking to us there last week. Oh, Amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and Tom Hook the week before chatting, and you're suddenly going, actually, these are people that whose work I've admired, um, whose attitude I've admired, lots of levels, and and suddenly you're able to, you know, have very instant communication with people and develop a different sort of connection. So hopefully, you know, things just develop in, in that way. So beautiful, beautiful. Well, that's. Um, I feel like that's a perfect note to sort of wrap up on for this part of the interview and maybe to end with asking you where people can get connected with Limerick Printmakers. And I'm sure a lot of listeners' ears perked up when you mentioned the, the possibility of international residencies. So where can they follow you and, and see the work and stay in contact? Well, you, you, we have a, a website, so Limerick Printmakers. Um, 
Dot.ie, I think it is. Jeez, I'd be killed for not knowing that. But, uh, <laughs> but if, you, if you look up Limerick Print Makers anyway, you'll get our website on that. There's also, they're, they're on Instagram as well. So, um, yeah, by all means. And Jess Tobin, who is our, our director inside in the printmakers and actually, you know, an incredible driving force in, in our survival and uh, and in our, our where we stand now with the purchase of the building and things. Um, she, you know, is all, always on hand and I'll say that just in case she's listening. You're always on hand, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. Um, Twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, yeah. No yeah problem you, at all if you want to give out her person. her mobile number here, we can put that in the yeah, show notes. Uh, yeah. Eight six. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no. I mean, by all means, contact. Look, you know, anyone who's 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 coming through or traveling, and we are going to try and run residencies um, this year, obviously. Uh, this year and last year because of the nature of things we were very curtailed as everyone and unfortunately we're closed even to our own members at the moment Mm. Um, so you know from next year on hopefully we will have um, both international and national residencies running you know that that people can come but we're always open you know with the 24 hour project if you look at that we're hoping to run it we tried uh, well I was meant to but I never I never got got around to but to run one an international one that you would have 10 studios around the world running 24 hours all at the same time so that hopefully will be a possibility in the next year and and we maybe get 10 studios who have a kind of like-minded attitude um that anything goes uh coming on board which would be great and especially now that communication has opened up um it's 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 uh, much more of a possibility yeah. it's, it's not as daunting i think as things were even two years ago people were you know the idea of communicating and and sort of using online sort of communication it, it just didn't function as well as it does now so well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, hopefully I, the opens up i know that a lot of uh studios listen to the podcast so could could we be so bold as if if some, if a studio out there thinks that they're a like-minded studio who might want to do twenty-four hour print, they can get in touch with you. Absolutely, Beautiful. yeah. And if you you can just if you send it to the printmakers and and sort of uh, put it uh, contact towards me, uh, Des McMahon, others, um, because uh, you know I've always wanted to do it. I thought you know if you had ten places around the world, you know all starting at the same time finishing at the same time and you know the only rule with the 24 was that you have nothing prepared you just come with your tools you trust your ability and your skill you trust your decision making um and you collaborate with the people around you if you want or you work on your own you want but you know in, and as long as you all have dinner and have a drink with each other in yeah. the middle of it it's all right <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a really fun project. I could, yeah, see the possibilities of, of streaming it and having like a really international online exhibition. Ah, I hope, I hope that happens. And yeah, let yeah, me let yeah. me know if I can help at all. Fantastic. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for for coming and and sharing the story and on a on an early Monday morning in Limerick. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Oh no, listen, thanks for having some around this present. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Jennifer Roberts, an art historian and Harvard University professor and this year's presenter of the Mellon Lectures on Fine Art. We'll talk about the bodily knowledge of printmaking and all the historical work to be done there. And if you haven't had a chance, print friends, to check out this year's lecture series with Jennifer, I highly recommend that you start right now. It is an incredible series of lectures available for free through the National Gallery. 
all on printmaking. Just Google Melon Lecture Series, that's M-E-L-L-O-N, and it'll pop right up. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Thank you.